The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. Custom software needs vary significantly, whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. Harnessing the technical excellence of Bulgaria, MentorMate provides end-to-end software services in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer world-class care through technology. Learn more at MentorMate.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. I'm very excited today to be joined by a serial entrepreneur by the name of John Frazier, who's going to tell us a little bit about his newest venture, Treatment.com, which is part of a a growing community of digital health companies in the Medical Alley ecosystem, but this one's quite a bit more unique. And John, I'm really happy to have you join us today, and maybe you could start by uh, introducing yourself to the audience, some of whom may not be familiar with your work. Sure. Well, Frank, first of all, thanks for inviting me on the show here. Um, uh, very honored to be a member of Medical Alley and uh, appreciate the invitation there. Um, well, my name is, uh, as you said, is John Frazier. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Treatment.com. Um, this is uh, my third uh, healthcare IT company that I've started. I uh, started uh, Ability Networks uh, back in 2000 um, and then started uh, Penamed. After that, uh, and started this company about five years ago now, and really started it uh, in a coffee shop in downtown St. Paul with my co-founder, Dr. Kevin Peterson, who at the time was the University of Minnesota professor in the medical school. It's kind of a, a classic startup story, in a coffee shop, out comes a new venture. Maybe you could talk as we get into it a little bit about, so you started about five years ago, often we think of digital health companies they start and overnight, they're these big giant things, but you guys put a lot of development, research, kind of heavy engineering into building the product and building the service. Um, can you tell us what is treatment.com and can you talk about that, that evolution over the last couple of years? Sure, sure. Well, uh, when Kevin and I sat down to have our coffee, uh, I had kind of an audacious idea, which was to automate the diagnostic and treatment process that primary care doctors do. Uh, Kevin was very skeptical at the time, but one of the things we realized is this is not going to be a fast project. The idea was to develop basically a, from scratch, a new AI architecture that then we would use doctors, and this is really where uh, Dr. Peterson contributed, uh, really use doctors to train it. So instead of writing a lot of different software, uh, essentially writing rules. We wrote an engine uh, that was focused on accepting input from regular primary care doctors and and training it to think like a doctor. And that that was the key point. A lot of these efforts, uh, like you say, they develop something quickly. Uh, It's typically a canned system, might use machine learning to, to get up to a certain intelligence quickly. But uh, we decided to build an AI infrastructure that was trained by doctors, uh, for doctors and for patients, and to be uh, designed in a way where the doctors could look inside it. They could understand how they were training it 
And then they could understand how it would think about the different problems a person might have. And we did that to ensure that it would have the credibility uh, necessary for the medical community, but also for patients. So we knew it was going to be a, a long-term uh, effort. And so it took us about uh, two, two and a half years to actually write the AI software. And in the last couple of years, we've been training it with doctors from around the world. It's very forward thinking. I mean, we talked a lot now in AI about not having black box AIs where you, you can't look in and you can't understand why it took the input and gave a certain output. Clearly, that took a lot of work. But you guys had just recently uh, what I would think is an important milestone. If I remember right, you just launched on the Apple App Store, the, the consumer-facing product. What's it been like launching on the App Store? Sure. Well, that is our first product. We're very proud of that. Uh, it is, you know, step one of a long set of, uh, or a large set of products that we are going to be launching on, the, on our technology and our AI training uh, infrastructure. Um, it was very hard to get it through the App Store. Having a patient or a customer uh, interact with AI is a complicated uh, system. It's, it's complicated to do well. You know, people are, uh, you know, people have been used to interacting with chatbots and typically they weren't very happy with it. So we didn't want to repeat that problem. And so we worked really hard to make our chatbot, if you will, or our AI interview uh, very consumer friendly, very easy to do. You don't have to set up an account. Um, and, and so far, it's just been in the App Store for a few weeks. We've been having glowing comments. So uh, we're both in the Apple App Store. And the last week, uh, actually, uh, earlier this week, we launched in the Google App Store. So we're both oh, in the Google and the uh, iOS or Apple App Store. You can find us by searching for uh, Treatment Digital Health App. Treatment Digital Health App. That's good to know. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes. And for those listening, we're recording this on the 18th of February. That might come out a little bit after that. So they'll have a couple of weeks under their belt on the Google Store as well. So that's the consumer side. Is there a vision then to take it into the doctor's side of the work or augmenting, say, the medical practice? Because at the start, you talked about making it understandable and making it useful for the docs as well. Right, right. Um, yes, in fact, we have two other products that are coming out. Uh, one is our medical education product. Mm -hmm. And actually, we sold an early version of it to the University of Minnesota Medical School. And they're using it to help teach and test the medical students. Uh, so that's our medical education product that uses the same back end, the same technology uh, that the mobile app is using. Um, and then we also recently uh, sold our first clinical system to a busy primary care clinic in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, and that will help the doctors by having our software interview the patient before they see the doctor. And then when they go in to see the doctor, the doctor will have the analysis of the AI and the interview of the patient right in front of them. And it'll be written in a manner that the doctor writes their own notes. It's called a soap note. And so the doctor essentially will have the AI complete the entire interview process, come up with the potential diagnoses and recommended treatments. And all the doctor has to do at that point is to confirm the information with the patient uh, and then, you know, maybe adjust uh, what the treatment might be. So it's going to save doctors time. Uh, and it's a, it's a big safety 
uh, upgrade for doctors, right? Because doctors are busy. They never have enough time to see the patient. But now the patient can be interviewed before the visit. But the, all of the interview information plus the analysis by the AI will be combined into that soap note and uh, delivered right to the doctor. So we did a pilot last year with this uh, product and the doctor said it's transformational. It's going uh, to change the way medicine is being practiced. Oh, that's fantastic. Product. Yeah. Well, and I just think like if I put myself in a patient's shoes, being able to do that ahead of time. And then when I go in and see the doc, they have the information, they can be more prepared we can talk more about what we're going to do about it versus spending the whole time figuring out what it is and then having just a couple of minutes to interact and figure out what's next. Like that, I can see how that makes the doc feel better, but also how that's a better experience for the patient. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so when I was going through your website, something I, I noticed on there that I mentioned a few times was this global library of medicine. What is that and how does that play into the, the tool set or the products that you've been building? Sure. Well, um, you know, our architecture is essentially a three-level architecture. Uh, at the top is really the contributions of the doctors from around the world to train the AI. And that's what we call the Global Library of Medicine. It's a rapidly expanding knowledge base of symptoms, diseases, risk factors, age, location, everything a doctor thinks about when they talk to a patient, when they look at a patient is captured inside of that global library of medicine. So that's the top layer. That then is, uh, tr that is used then to train the AI engine, which is our technical infrastructure, the second component. And the AI is what does the thinking. And it actually interviews a patient, which we should talk about. It's very fascinating how it inter talks to a patient. Uh, and then the third layer is our value exchange system, which we're just about to launch, our treatment rewards uh, system, which will help us pay the doctors using a blockchain technology uh, at, uh, at a global scale. Because obviously we have uh, doctors from around the world. Uh, we're onboarding 60 more doctors just right now. Uh, there is a fascination with this new AI capability and doctors are coming in from all over the world to help train it. It's just a fascinating process. Yeah. I'll ask about the blockchain in a second, but yeah, tell me about the interview process. Sure. When you go in to see a doctor, you know, the doctor first says, well, you know, what's bothering you? And the doctors call that the reason for encounter. Why did you come to see the doctor? Um, and that's the way our software works. It will uh, say, you know, what's bothering you today? Uh, and then on our mobile app, which anyone can download, is free. You type in what's bothering you, and then we match one of the thousands of symptoms that we have in the system. Um, and then once it gets that first symptom, it assembles all possible diseases that could have that symptom. And then it analyzes all those diseases. It might be 100, might be 200 different diseases. Say maybe you have a cough. Uh, and then what it does is it sorts through all that information and decides using a, a technology called information gain theory, decides what's the best question to ask. It asks it, you answer, it recomputes the whole, we call it the universe of potential diseases. And it continues that until it finally gets to uh, a point where it sees that 
adding, asking more questions is not going to add much to the evidence and, and the outcome of the analysis, the assessment. So it's just a fascinating architecture and, and was designed, by the way, in collaboration with some AI experts out of the University of British Columbia and the University of Minnesota. Oh, very cool. I, I love hearing the Canadian US, the Minnesota British Columbia connection. Always fun to see when academic research translates to application and then to actual patient value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, so that makes sense. Then talk about this blockchain piece. It sounded like you were saying there was a, a way of engaging the docs, of rewarding the docs who contribute to the Global Library of Medicine. Did I understand that right? Yes, yes. Um, you know, we have doctors around the world. So U.S., Canada, Singapore, Africa, Europe. And we have found that paying these people uh, is very difficult. You know, moving money around the world is extremely costly. Uh, it's slow. Uh, and there's no one system to do it, right? I mean, you can use PayPal. <laughs> you, can, you can wire money. Uh, wiring money is extremely expensive. And it's just an inefficient way to transfer value around. So what we're launching is a system called our treatment rewards. And we'll use those to reward, uh, you know, on a non-cash basis, the contributions of doctors to training the AI. Uh, and then we'll be converting in the future those treatment rewards into a blockchain architecture, uh, which will actually then be convertible into, into regular money. What they call oh, fascinating. Currency. Yeah, right. Fascinating. Um, you know, I followed a little bit of the crypto and the blockchain world, and, and I will admit I'm a like late adopter of everything, so I don't even pretend. <laughs> but hearing you describe that, it's like, okay, that's that makes a lot of sense of a way to solve a real problem uh, in a unique way applying blockchain technology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, you know, there's kind of a stink, if you will, on, on cryptocurrencies uh, in, in a lot of people's minds. But the underlying technology, which is blockchain, is really a very, very efficient way to register uh, things. It's essentially called a shared ledger. So, you know, I mean, doctors in Ethiopia get paid $20 a day, right? So to, tr so to wire money to them, when the, when the when it costs twenty dollars yeah. to wire the money uh, one time, uh, yep. it just it doesn't scale. Uh, we want to be able to have thousands or even hundreds of thousands of doctors participating in this blockchain architecture around the world. And the only practical way is by using a cryptocurrency that's built onto these, uh, you right. know, on a blockchain. Oh, so that's fascinating, and uh, it's. That solves such an interesting problem where now you can draw on medical knowledge from all over, whereas I see quite often we've worked with a lot of like imaging companies using AI and they have a very narrow set of clinician inputs because they have to get them from one hospital or one set of hospitals. You're drawing knowledge from anywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and one of the one of the benefits of a of, of the Global Library of Medicine is that does the the likelihood that you're going to catch a disease is different in different countries. Right. So to have an accurate system, you really need to understand 
you know, how likely you're going to get dengue fever, you know, in uh, the slums of Nairobi uh, versus Nebraska. It's completely Mm -hmm. different risk. And so in order to have an accurate diagnosis or assessment of a person, you really need to understand where do they live? And within that area, it doesn't have to be a city, but just general area, you know, what is the risk of, of all these different diseases? So um, that's one of the benefits of having doctors from around the world. They are very interested in the diseases that are in their area, right? And right. So they, can, they can actually train the system that if you live in this region, uh, the, the AI will take that into consideration and it will actually then uh, compute differently your potential risk of different diseases because the doctors trained it that way. Right. Oh, that is, that is so interesting. Shifting just a little bit, sure. you know, you'd mentioned at the start, this is your third company. How is it different today or even five years ago when you'd started treatment.com compared to say when you'd started Ability back in 2000, 2001 timeframe? How's the healthcare environment changed and how is in your, your perception the startup environment changed? Uh, well, one thing that hasn't changed is startups are hard. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> the, they, they haven't gotten easier. Uh, it's the same battle for money, people, ideas. I would say the, the, the number one just, just enormous change is this idea of a global workforce. Uh, when I started my first company, you know, we recruited uh, my friends, my family, you know, everybody around Minneapolis to come in and help. I think my mom was my chief financial officer, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and we all had an office, right? And so we would come into the office and we would work hard and then we would go home. Well, uh, when I started treatment, uh, because we had uh, part of our team in Vancouver, part in Minneapolis, we were virtual from day one and then COVID hit uh, and we didn't skip a beat. But now yeah. it's, it's very clear that the ability to build value in a company is now independent of location. Yeah. If you, if especially, obviously, if you're building something and you've got a lot of physical material to move around, that's, that is a barrier to that, right? But in terms of AI and information technology, Um, You know, we have team members all over the world now between the doctors, between developers, between AI experts, uh, Kubernetes experts, which is a a Mm. component of what Google uh, runs. Um, And so I think successful startups now need to think that way. They need to think that the entire world is now uh, ready to participate in shared, you know, projects like a startup. Um, obviously it's difficult. You've got money issues, you've got language issues, culture issues. Um, but, but personally, I love it. I love it. I love all the different, uh, people we deal with. Um, you know, part of our development group is in Bulgaria. I mean, they are a stone's throw through from this, uh, potential problem in Ukraine. Um, and so it's just fascinating to listen to these people and, um, just, just kind of work again in this kind of global workforce uh, that are, very, you know, every bit as smart mm-hmm. as anyone else. As I say it, intelligence has no national boundaries. Right. right? Intelligence is everywhere. Uh, I'm with you. The, the opportunity of being hybrid or virtual is so substantial. It can be scary at times, 
right? Will that mean place doesn't matter, communities don't matter? I think place and communities still matter. And it now opens up the ability for companies like yours to bring in the best expertise in the world, create better products, have different challenges, but those are fun, and create better outcomes for patients. And it's, I think, just a revolution that we're still tapping into. Maybe where I'm a Luddite on the blockchain side of the world, I'm all in on the hybrid virtual. The world is now the workplace and the amazing things that we're already seeing happen with companies right here in our backyard. Mm -hmm. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about as we come in for a landing here. Um, so you guys are publicly traded in Canada. And I always find it super interesting when startup companies or scale up companies are publicly listed because it's a, a different set of reporting. It's a different set of requirements. And so I always like to just ask, what's it like being a public company at the stage you're at versus say maybe in your other companies, you were a private startup? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, well, just to uh, clarify, um, our headquarters is in British Columbia uh, as Treatment Internet, Treatment.com International Inc. And then the U.S. operations are just Treatment.com Inc. Uh, we're a wholly owned subsidiary. Um, the reason we went public was really for access to capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Canada, and especially the Vancouver area, is really a uh, hotbed for innovation, yeah. uh, software development, mining, cannabis, uh, CBD. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, Asian money that's come in there uh, and a lot of interest in, you know, getting involved in early stage companies. And so the the uh, especially the Canadian Security Exchange that we're listed on under symbol tr uh, TRUE, T-R-U-E, um, they specialize in uh, helping very, very early stage, uh, often pre-revenue companies go public and access the public markets, uh, both in the U.S., uh, both in Canada, I mean, and, and in the U.S. Uh, and so it's really the, I would say, the Vancouver environment, which has led to uh, more companies like ours, early stage, pre-revenue, being able to access that public market. And and the reporting, quarterly reporting, financial reporting is lighter weight as well. Mm -hmm. It's not nearly as onerous or as expensive as in the U.S. Uh, and, but, but, you know, going back, would I do it again? Yeah, I would, I would go public, uh, you know, if I had to do this again, uh, <laughs> just because of the international access to capital that you get. Uh, and also just right. more awareness, right? The CSC is advertising you, you're listed. Uh, we're also listed on the over-the-counter uh, mm -hmm. as TREIF. So um, we're both listed in the U.S. and Canada now. Ah, fascinating. I, I agree with you on the Vancouver part. We have seen so much innovation come out of there. We have a number of medical device members that have an office in Vancouver, an office here, because they're building software-enabled devices and they can tap that deep talent pool, deep knowledge base paired with the device industry here. We're seeing more companies pursue that path, whether it's public on CSC or the ASX in Australia. And I, I really do encourage companies that when they're thinking about raising money, that there are multiple options today that are viable pathways forward. And they should make sure they're considering all of their options and not just keeping narrowly focused on maybe what they've always done. Right. I think yeah. that's right. Uh, you know, the access to capital 
again, when you go public, um, is just a lot broader than, you know, say, trying to raise money in, a, in Minneapolis or something. You mm-hmm. just have a much broader investor pool. Yeah, use the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. We'll do. Well, John, thank you. This was really a fun discussion. A couple of places I didn't think it would go, and I learned a bit about blockchain today. So thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us and sharing the treatment.com story. Well, thanks very much for having me on, Frank. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And folks, that's the Medical Alley Podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, check out medicalalleypodcast.com or look us up on Apple, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. Have a great day.